What's up, y'all? Welcome to Conversation Piece with Patrick Armstrong. I am the titular Patrick, and this is a show where we talk about the missing pieces of the conversations we're already having. Special shout out to all our returning listeners and a high five and hello to everyone joining us for the very first time. My guest today is an author whose debut memoir, Hell If We Don't Change Our Ways, landed in stores this October. She has a bachelor's in English from Ball State University, a master's of fine arts in English from the University of Iowa nonfiction writing program, and she currently resides in Albuquerque, New Mexico. It is my privilege and honor to welcome Brittany Means to the show. Hey, Brittany, thanks for joining me. Hi, and thank you so much for having me here. I am super excited for this conversation for folks who definitely probably don't know unless they come to Tomorrow Bookstore. Um, first met Brittany when she was on tour for this book. Uh, I think that was in October still. That was, mm-hmm. that was like one of the first events. Um, yes. or one of the first events, not to brag, but um, had the opportunity and the privilege to sit down and talk to you about the book at, at the bookstore. And it was a really fantastic conversation and not to toot your horn, but um, hell if we don't change our ways is my favorite book of 2023. It has been the best book that I've read all year. And I continue, I've keep seeing other books that I, I've really enjoyed, but none have, none have, have, like stuck with me and struck me in the way that yours did. And so I just wanted to say thank you for writing this because I felt like there was so much in here that I could just resonate with through my own lived experience. So thank you. Thank you. Um, And yeah, thank you again. When I came to Tomorrow Bookstore, we had a conversation and I think that was maybe my favorite conversation I've had. It was, yeah, just, I got to talk about horror um, not a lot of people <laughs> ask me about the horror in the book and it's one of my favorite things to talk about. And yeah, you just had a lot of thoughtful questions and it was really fun. Um, so thank you. Well, I appreciate those words. I now feel like I have a little bit of pressure to live up to that first <laughs> conversation with this conversation. And this is going to be a little bit different. I'm sure we're going to talk about the book just a bit, but I'm excited about what we're going to talk about today. And before we get to that, for folks at home or whoever are listening or watching this who may not know who you are, do you mind sharing just a little bit more about yourself? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I'm Brittany. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in Indiana, um, which is in part what my book is about, growing up homeless in Indiana with my mom and moving around a lot and living with a foster family. And um, yeah, just the the whole theme of getting out and then realizing that you didn't really get out. And um, yeah, I wrote a book about it in part just to get it out of my head. And and also because I know how important it can be when a book helps you identify with yourself and your own situation. And I hoped that I could maybe do that for other people. Well, you definitely did that for me. So I definitely appreciate <laughs> that. And I appreciate you sharing that. Um, do you, outside of writing, is there anything else that you do out in Albuquerque? I know you have some hens and some chickens that run around <laughs> in your yard. Anything else that you do on your off time? Um, yeah, I I like bowling. Okay. <laughs> I like doing puzzles. Um, I like getting involved with local groups that organize. We have ABQ Mutual Aid. There's uh, John Brown Breakfast Club. Um, safe house here in Albuquerque, Casa Q, there's some great organizations. Um, so whenever I can, I like to get the word out about them and do what I can, whether it's 
give or donate or, um, yeah, just let people know that they're there doing good work. Amazing. Um, I will have to get that list from you so I can link that <laughs> in the show notes for anybody who might be out that way and want to support or donate some of their time. Um, and I appreciate you sharing that because I think that not only that, but also what you talk about in the book is a good segue and lead into our conversation today. And in this conversation, we're going to dive into not just the origin of stories like individual or community stories, but the systemic issues that lead to certain origin stories in the first place. And so these organizations and groups that you do work with um, address some of these things. And then also you personally address a number of these different, a, a number of different systemic issues in your book. What yeah. specific things have played a role in your story? Yeah, um, I think poverty has been maybe the the like largest theme. Just I think a lot of the other themes come out of like what happens in a country where so many people are living in poverty. Um, you know, addiction and the lack of treatment and the horrible way we've criminalized it in this country and stigmatized it. Um, sex education and education about like healthy relationships and healthier dynamics um, and, and trauma and how we treat trauma and how we think about and talk about mental health um, are just a few. I'm sure I've left something <laughs> out. <laughs> I think that's a, I, I mean, I think that's a really great place to start and I appreciate that you share like poverty being the root. Can you talk a little bit about like how those root causes branch out and, and touch other things like addiction and the lack of treatment, like sex education or how we manage and navigate relationships, trauma, mental health. How have, how does that one root sprout into other places? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, Something that I've been talking about in a lot of interviews is how poverty affects people's ability to leave abusive relationships. Um, like sometimes there are relationships where one person knows this is unhealthy or this is violent and I need to leave and I want to leave. And first of all, it takes a really long time to get there. But then sometimes you get there and you realize this person has isolated me from all of my support. Um, maybe they've been married for 30 years and the person who wants to leave has been out of the workforce and they don't have any savings. And they know that if they leave, it basically means walking away from any kind of security they have. Um, you know, since the book has come out, people have contacted me and talked about like the things they identified with. And unfortunately, it has been a pretty common theme that people you know, it's, I've met at least two people through this book tour alone who have said, yeah, I wanted to leave my abuser, but I knew if I did, I would be living in my car, which is what happened to me and my mom. Um, so there's, there's that. And then there's stuff like you, I mean, if, if you don't have the basic things you need to survive, if you don't have housing, you can't afford food, if you can't afford the right clothing, um, your mental health is not going to be great just at a base level. Um, and if you also have, if you struggle with bipolar disorder, if you struggle with depression or anxiety or PTSD, those things are so much harder to survive when you don't have your basic needs being met. Um, 
And I think, especially right now, so many people don't have their basic needs met and are losing their housing. And um, yeah, when you're in that place, you're probably not thinking like, I need to go to therapy or I need to find the right <laughs> medication. You're just thinking, like, what am I going to eat next? <laughs> um, I, I feel like I've, I tend to get lost in the weeds of focusing on like one part of the answer of a question when sure. there are a million things to say. <laughs> no, a hundred percent. And I appreciate you talking about how like when your root cause or maybe like a foundational or base cause is affecting you in a really profound and like all encompassing way when you go to like survive and just okay. try and figure out how do I make do in this particular situation that I find myself in, it can be really difficult and maybe sometimes impossible to see the other, other avenues that are available to you. And it is easy for someone on the outside looking in to be like, well, you just need to do this or you mm -hmm. just need to do that. When at the end of the day, that person probably doesn't share the lived experience that you have and are going through or that someone is going through in order for them to be like, well, that's not even one step away. That's like 20 steps away. Yeah. Um, you, when was, so you talk about in the book, a lot of these things. And I think one of the things that I really love about the book is not only the way you make your story accessible, in not maybe not despite but in or or in spite but in a, addition to some of the traumas and, and, and traumatic things that you experienced growing up but you do it in a way of accessibility that you don't necessarily have to go super deep into the weeds or or the or the details i think that you get your message and your point and your story across in a really not only accessible but profound way um for you, when did you realize what what was there was there a moment that you realized my basic needs in this situation are not being met in a way that you were like where it's like I can't even think about two, three, four steps down the line when I'm trying to think about what's what tomorrow brings? Um, I think for the most part, when I was younger, when I was a kid, I didn't I didn't really think about those things. Like I knew I'm hungry and I want food. And uh, I was aware, like, we don't have it. But because that was what I grew up with and what I knew, I I never really thought about, like, I don't know. I, it just felt like that's just the way things are. And right. I think it was when I was in college, um, I was like, all right, I got out <laughs> and I'm, uh, life's going to get better now. And then... I was, you know, working multiple jobs and doing gigs and sorry, Mr. Ball State, I was stealing food <laughs> from the atrium and wherever I could get it and, you know, taking toilet paper out of the bathrooms. And um, I think that was the point where I was like, it's not, it's not better now, even though it felt like this was supposed to be the point where it all changed. And this might be forever. Like, even though I was working all those jobs, I was still paying rent. And then sometimes I owed money to the school. And I always had this awareness of like what I had, I thought gotten out of and how easy it would be if I like got sick and couldn't go to work or mm. if something in the apartment broke and the landlord charged me for it, I could lose everything and like 
um, yeah, I tend to catastrophize still. And it's hard for me even to this day to know, like, am I catastrophizing because I know how bad it can be and how easily it can get there? Or is this, uh, am I, is it actually like I'm being a little dramatic? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to tell when your baseline has been stretched like that. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think college was the point where I was like, I'm supposed to be like here learning and expanding my mind. And, uh, I'm really just like so stressed about what I'm going to eat tomorrow or whether I'm going to be homeless again in a few months. And, uh, yeah, that restful time. Well, I, my follow up, thank you for sharing that. My follow up question you actually answered, it was going to be, you know, is that a mindset shift that you like that sticks with you forever? Is that something that's just ongoing and perpetual or something that you can like navigate your way, maybe not out of, but like you can work in tandem with it. Like you realize, okay, I can grow from here, but this is something that maybe will always stay here. What are some things that you found work for you in order to navigate that relationship with that, that feeling and that baseline? Yeah. The, the, like, I'm going to lose everything and be homeless again. Panic is still one that pops up. Um, I, I think the thing that I most struggle with is just being present, um, like through everything. I think my like number one unhealthy coping mechanism was escaping through like daydreaming or dissociating or like reading a book or watching a movie. There was always like some way I could like, like even if I was like, I'm so bored. I've been in this waiting room for three hours and I, all that's left is like the awareness that life kind of sucks. <laughs> um, I would just like leave. Um, and even now, like I'm 30, I have a nice house. I have my chickens. I have a wonderful partner and friends, little cat, like things are good. And even when I feel good, I find myself like just kind of drifting or I'll be in an interaction and I realize like I wasn't here for that. And that's it's really sad because that's what I needed to survive for a long time. But it now I have to let go of it. But like when you say let go, it sounds like something that you can just be like, ah, when instead you have to like blast your core 24-7 to just make yourself be present. Um, but yeah, I think that's my my number one struggle today. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think that even when you're blasting your core 24-7, it's like you still will probably never be able to let go of whatever that foundational trauma or issue is. And I think that's one of the things that people maybe don't understand about systemic problems mm. is that it's not just the fact that the system forces people into really impossible situations that they then have to come out of. It's also that... Just because there is, you can say, oh, here's a solution to poverty or houselessness or mental health care or just health care in general. Okay. It's the fact that for millions of people, they have been operating and navigating in this way for such a long time that it had becomes a part of them. Mm. And then if they happen to have children, it becomes then intergenerational in the issues and ways that we're dealing with it because even if we don't intend to, we can pass that on. Like yes. through through adoption, I know spoken to plenty of adoptees and I've experienced this myself. It's that, you know, there is this trauma that we carry from beyond 
even just having been adopted. But then, like, if we don't address that, we can pass down whatever things come up because of that to our kids, should we have them. And so I think that that layeredness of what is a systemic issue can be lost on a lot of people who maybe have privileges where they don't have to experience certain things. And I would say that almost everybody experiences some level of issue, particularly within the systems that we all find ourselves in, in the Western world, let alone across at a global level. Um, from From that standpoint, what do you think that people are missing from not just a poverty perspective, but from all of these different things that you've listed from a systemic issues perspective, what do you think people are missing from that conversation that we should be addressing more often? Yeah, I, I was thinking about this since you invited me on. Um, and I keep coming back to, I think we just live in like a very individualistic culture here in the U S and like, so I wrote this book and I tend to think about things on a micro level. It's kind of where I live. Um, I love to talk and think about things on the macro, but just my default is thinking of like the interpersonal and the story. Um, and so that's the book I wrote. But then since the book came out, I've been a little stressed because the conversation has been like, you're brave and you really fought through it. And how did you survive? Um, and I don't, I don't want it to be that story because, mm. you know, I get the question, like, are you, are you glad that you went through some of the things you went through because it made you stronger? And I'm like, well, one, no, because I have PTSD. So I get very stressed a lot easier than I might have. And also I don't, I'm not grateful that the things that happened happened um, because that means that we live in a world where those things can happen. And I'm especially not grateful for that. I'm not grateful that we live in a world where a single mother with addiction struggles the way my mother did. Um, And I I think it comes back to the individualistic thing because um, we like hero stories. We like a story where there's one special person who overcomes and it was like this seed of moral strength inside them that did it rather than I just kind of plinkoed my way through poverty and abuse and trauma and landed somewhere where I was very fortunate. And there are a lot of people I love who fell down the same plinko and landed in really terrible places. Um, and I'm, I'm not grateful for that. Uh, I think the idea that I don't think people are saying that I should be grateful, but it's hard not to read that question that way. Um, so yeah, I want people to think Um, When you hear a story that sounds exceptional, maybe reflect a little bit on thinking like this isn't exceptional. Um, There are so many children living in poverty. There are so many children who are dealing with abuse, who are witnessing abuse. There are people who are struggling with addiction, who want to be free of it. And it's just not possible. And they're living in shame and fear, sometimes doing jail time. Um, so I don't know when you when you hear a story that makes you really emotional and makes you think this person is brave. I want people to think like what's going on in the world that this person had to be brave and and does it have to be like that? And I think probably like 100% of the time the answer is no, it doesn't have to be like that. There are like a handful of guys who benefit from things being like that. 
Um, and then, and that's literally the only reason it's all happening. <laughs> I, well, okay. I love that answer. I also don't love it because obviously we don't <laughs> want those things to happen, but I really appreciate you sharing that because there's a lot of things that I pulled from there. And one, yes, like this individualistic culture that we currently reside in that maybe we've always resided in is definitely a problem. And it breeds this false idea of resiliency where mm -hmm. we are like, that's what we want to hear. And you said it like, you know, that people love the hero narrative. They love to see the hero. They love to champion a hero, but yeah. they don't want to, or we want to project ourselves as being the hero, but we don't want to go through the struggle yeah. or the things that cause them to get to from point A to point B. And I think it's this idea that, you know, it's easy for people who don't have to experience that, who have the a privilege of living a life of comfort outside of whatever systemic issue might be affecting them in any way or could affect them and doesn't, that we latch on to these stories that we feel are we want to be, but then we don't want to be them. Like you said, yeah. people come up to you and you're like, are you are, like you said people are like aren't you so glad that you had these experiences that <laughs> that made you this person that you are today what what, what? <laughs> no obviously not i'm not happy that i had these and two it makes it easy for us to take the individual that we're hearing the story from and make them the representative of everyone that it's that's experiencing those things. Oh, well, Brittany overcame these things, so why can't everybody else? Or yes. oh, this one this one person pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. Why can't you do that? Or yes. from an adoptee standpoint, oh, well, this person doesn't have any issues from their adoption. Like what's wrong with you? Why can't you be that way? And then we get this umbrella idea or this like singular narrative representation of what a community should be like. And we not only lose sight of how many people make up a community, but that at the end of the day, we are all individuals and we get the, again, the wrong idea of what it mm -hmm. means to be individualistic um, or to live into our own thing and that everybody is going to experience things differently, even if they experience a similar thing mm -hmm. or are put underneath um, one particular oppressive situation um how do you navigate that conversation like like you said you know people are like especially when the book is out now people are like coming up to you and be like oh i really appreciate you sharing all this you're so brave like is there a do you have have you come up with ways that you're able to like okay how do i redirect this conversation here <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i think i try to talk about um is what I'm talking about now. I try to say, like, like I I made it. I don't attribute that to any kind of like special moral thing about myself because I know people and love people who have struggled just as much and had just as much ambition and hope and like just like burning desire to get out and like be okay. And they they didn't get that or they've passed away. Um, and, and so, no, I don't, I don't think it's like a me thing. I think I got very lucky. Um, and that's, it's hard because I think sometimes I'm still in that mindset where I'm like, 
I'm applying for a scholarship, so I have to tell the story they want. <laughs> mm, um, yeah. And, 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 you know, there, there's also a little bit of like, when you're going through something terrible, you want to believe like I'm special and so I'll make it. Um, so it does sometimes like, there's just like a greedy goblin little part of me that still like wants to believe like I'm God's specialist warrior. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's, it's hard to resist that for all of those reasons sometimes to just tell the story people want to hear. But, but if I do that, then it's like a huge discredit to, yeah, the people I've loved and lost who uh, survived and didn't survive the things that I write about in the book and more. I really appreciate that. I It's like, it's a beautiful act of resistance to, you know, these dominant societal narratives that we all live under. And also, as you put it, and for you, it's also a way to honor the folks who didn't make it or didn't end up getting an opportunity in the way that you did, you know, and it's not a way to be like to take away from or invalidate your own experience, but a way to really amplify and lift up these other folks experiences who are still who either didn't make it or are struggling and trying to make it maybe mm -hmm. can't. And it's like, if there's one way that I can help, especially through the, the craft or the form that I've found that works for me, you know, you can do that. And I think, I love the idea of resistance versus resilience because mm -hmm. resistance is to be, to just push back on, you know, this dominant narrative and to provide a counter. And again, not to invalidate, but to, to really amplify and shine a light on the folks who haven't got that opportunity. Yeah. So I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. Um, how do we, how do just general society go about addressing these things, you talked about it a little bit uh, when you named like our individualistic culture and identity or ideas of what it means to tell a story or, or put a story up on a pedestal. Like, how do we go about addressing that just as a general public? Like, what are some things that we can do? Yes. Um, it's a hard question because <laughs> there are just so many like so many like cultural and structural issues. Um, I think one thing I think about a lot is like how punishing we are. We're just like obsessed with um, retribution and punishment, like particularly in the United States. And people re read a book like mine and they're like, I'm so mad Mark isn't in prison or mm. the guy who kidnapped your brother got out of prison or like your mom never like got caught like what does it mean get caught um and i i just want people to think more about um you know like ideas like restorative justice and i think yeah it's just like i don't know we live in a culture where if you are in poverty um child protective services might show up and take your kid away and then place them with a family and then give that family money to take care of the kid. And I don't, I don't see a lot of people like questioning, like we, there's something really satisfying to people when a mm. kid is taken from a family. It's like, that's what you get without understanding. Like the child is suffering, the family is suffering and the money that's going to this foster family. Why couldn't it have just gone to this family? Why can't we, I don't know, like, teach people about nutrition and budgeting and 
also like build a world where those things are possible to actually implement. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I think a lot of what we can do starts with like breaking down your beliefs. Like when you, when you hear about a family struggling and, and you get that like, kind of like, I need vengeance. (laughs) I need justice feeling because the story is so upsetting, like a story like mine, I understand it's going to elicit emotions in people. Um, Just start asking yourself, like, do I want this idea of like vengeful justice because that's what I've been taught is like the right thing? Or like, what will actually come out of that? How will things get better? Um, Yeah, just... Just, I, I don't know. I I just, I feel like I have this idea and it's like colors and waves in my head. And I want to just like beam it at people and be like, stop punishing. Stop <laughs> thinking of like sad children as tokens that you can move around to feel heroic. Like, uh, I don't know. No, I think <laughs> that, y- no, you are right there on it. I think it's so interesting that you share this exact like, the the colors and the waves that you're sharing with us here on the show are something that I've kind of touched on last episode where I was talking about, you know, ways that people can address um, adoptee experiences and adoptee related issues. And one of the things that I said that we can do is to challenge the preconceived ideas that you hold about what it means to be adopted and what you yes. think you already know about adoption. And I think what you're sharing here is aligned with that because, again, we just, because of these narratives that already exist, we think we know about everyone else's experience. And because of that, we hold on to them as like absolute truths. And we're not willing to be challenged on what it is we believe to be true. Mm-hmm. And so if we're willing to, to, ch- to have that challenged in us, like that's where we can find growth as people. And then like it, this, like what the example you were sharing just made me think about, like you talk about foster care, maybe think about the system of adoption. And like, for me, it's like, I think it really starts with to challenge the narrative. It starts with asking instead of how do we adopt children? It is why are parents forced to give up their children in the first place? Why are they Mm -hmm. ever in a position to have to make that choice and when we ask that question, it leads us to the systemic issues that exist. Yes. And th- that's the thing. But we don't want to ask those questions. We ask the wrong questions. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily think they're always bad questions. But I think that just because they have good intentions behind the question does not mean the impact of what happens because we're asking this particular question is good or conducive or productive to a what we want to see and achieve. Like, yeah. If you ask a parent, like they wouldn't th- about like, okay, well, are you, would you just give away your child like willy nilly? Like they're going to obviously say no. But like yes. you said, f- people, for whatever reason, they have this idea that they just are happy when it's like, oh, I'm so glad they got that kid out of that house. Yeah. And it's like, why is that your first reaction? Like, why is that the thing that you're saying instead of being like, I wonder what, what's going on with that family that like put them in that position in the first place? And when we can ask that question, we can actually start to address those systemic issues. And by addressing those systemic issues, we start holding ourselves accountable 
for how we got here in the first place. And that is a really tough thing for people to get, <laughs> to get behind, yeah, particularly in America. We don't like to be accountable for stuff. So yeah. I don't know. Does yeah. that sound like where we were going, like where you were going in terms of the colors and waves? I agree. I wish I could just beam it directly into people's <laughs> heads. Yeah. But we have not got to tele- telepathy yet. No, you absolutely nailed it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. And I appreciate you sharing it because, you know, I just feel like it's something that, again, we just don't talk about very much. And it's because it's easier to talk about the other thing. It's easier to just be like, to ask the surface level question instead of digging a little bit deeper and seeing, okay, where does that root go? We just look at the tree. Big we're hinge. like, oh, okay, well, this is why it's this way. And it's always been this way. It's always been yeah. a tree. But it's like, where did the seed come from? How did this start? Yeah, it's it's hard. We live in a culture where uh, we really want binary answers. We want to be able to just like see something going on and blame someone and then be like, the answer is punishment and then everything's fixed. When like the answer is as complicated as like, how do you, like, how do I be present? It's not like I can just like say to myself one day, like, I'm here and I'm now and it's all over. So just snap out of it. Like I can't do that. It's um, fixing these things is like blasting your core 24 seven every day. And it's really hard to accept that that's how things get better. Um, so yeah. A hundred percent. And I've been talking about this a lot, but like this kind of mindset shift and narrative change that we need to see is so the blasting of one's core 24 <laughs> seven is, is, is so hard because it's intangible and we can't see or put a, a value or quantity or, or a number to it. Like unless yeah. we develop telepathy, we can read somebody else's mind. We don't know that this is like they've changed or they've decided to make, to start moving in a different direction. We just have to hope, you know, I yeah. think that's, that can be the power of hope. That can also be the, the fallacy of hope sometimes is that we want things to be different. And when people are telling us who they are, we hope that they can change and be different. But, you know, sometimes when they say, this is who I am, like, that's who they are. It's not that I don't want people to change. It's like, you know, you keep doing the same thing over and over again. And I'm expecting a different result. That's that at some point, it's on me (laughs) to to have to maybe move on, cut ties, whatever it might be. Yeah. Brittany, I really appreciate you sitting down and having this conversation with me. I got just a couple more questions for you. Um, The first one being, you know, I think you have dropped a lot of knowledge in this short conversation here for our listeners. For yourself, who do you find or gain knowledge or new perspective from? Who are you learning from right now? Um, So this is maybe a corny answer, but I learn a lot from my brother. (laughs) Um. (laughs) He's a psychologist. He does family therapy. He used to be a school counselor. There's that cat just checking there he, in. <laughs> yep, he's just checking in. He's like, why aren't you over here by the door? <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, he's like just an incredibly compassionate and empathetic person in part. That's just him. And a lot of it comes from, you know, training and practicing and therapy. Um, yeah, on days when I'm like, frustrated I like to call him and just talk about like is it not maddening like we can all see where <laughs> this starts <laughs> the, the like I don't know I sometimes I just yell and I'm like capitalism um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's like the most you can do but um yeah he's he's like a great person to talk to um and he always 
helps me bring it back to like, there are great things happening and people are learning and here's how we can keep doing this work for ourselves and with other people. Um, I started reading this book um, called Mind Support, no, Mind Over Monsters by Sarah Rose Cavanaugh. Um, and it's about like, um, like childhood trauma and how we are, how we can be understanding of and still challenge people when they have been through childhood trauma or when you're working with children who have been through trauma. Um, and this is, um, a book recommended to me by Nara Verzimniex, who was one of my professors at Iowa because I was talking about being a little frustrated. Like, I don't want my book to just be an interesting story that people are like, oh man, that was messed up. Anyway, moving on. I want people to like think about the implications, like how, like what kind of world have we built that this can happen to a kid and this can happen to a family. Um, and she recommended this book. So I plan on reaching out to the author after I finish it. Um, and then Ashley C. Ford, she mm. always has like such thoughtful and like compassionate things to say about like, children's personhood and how children don't really have or children children don't really have <laughs> rights <laughs> um and yeah I think Hanif Abdurraqib is someone who I really admire for his ability to <clears throat> um talk about really difficult things but he I don't know he keeps this tone of like tenderness and being loving when things are difficult and I don't know. I, I kind of like envy his ability to talk about things the way he talks about things. Like there's humor, there's love, there's tenderness, even when it's something that I think because I do st still struggle so much with that impulse to think like this terrible thing happened and I'm angry and someone needs to be punished. Um, I think he's a person whose work and when when he like posts about something political, I I really admire how at least to me it feels like he's resisting that cultural impulse um i know there are names i'm forgetting right now and i'll kick <laughs> myself later but uh there's there's a lot of great work out there yeah i love that well thank you for sharing all those things and i love this relationship that you have with your brother that you can reach out and have that conversation i have a similar relationship with my sister and when you go <laughs> Ah, capitalism. I almost positive we had that exact same conversation <laughs> on both sides. We just call each other and we're just like, what is wrong with everything? Yeah. We just have to like encourage each other that like, you know, there are good things happening and there are things out here that we can be hopeful in. And I don't know if it's proud is the right word right now in, in the world that we live, but um, things that we can find some joy in and mm -hmm. hopefully share some of that joy with each other. So I appreciate you sharing that. And, um, Ashley love her work. Like she was the first author that I personally ever read who wrote about Northwest Indiana in a way that I could see it. And yeah. I was like, this is like where I grew up. I'm like, this is like, feels so similar and like so real and vivid to me. Um, yeah. So love her work. And then, yeah, we will definitely link both. Ashley and Sarah and Henny's work in our show notes and anybody else that you want to share when you think of them later, you can just be like, Hey, make sure you put this in the show notes. So we'll make sure we have that there as well. So thank you for sharing that. And my last question is always, 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 
how do we, how does this audience, how do the listeners, the viewers, anybody who might be joining in from the newsletter, how do we support you going forward? Oh, um, I mean, just like cherish me every day. (laughs) 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 Um, I mean, we can do that. (laughs) Yeah. If you, if you like reading memoir, look for my memoir. It's in the library probably. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so yeah, library. Um, someone put a bootleg audio book on a band camp or somewhere. So I don't know, maybe check that out. Wait, Um, a bootleg audio book, like they recorded a version of themselves reading it or they bootlegged your audio book version and put it on there. I'm still not sure. I got an (laughs) alert about it and I haven't checked it out yet. I like to imagine someone just re-recorded because they didn't like my voice. <laughs> that is um, amazing. Yeah. But it might just be a spam link. So maybe don't click on it. I don't know. Maybe don't click on it. We'll see. Well, we'll definitely have the book linked in the show notes as well. I'm going to hold my copy up right here for people watching on YouTube. Um, again, one, my favorite book of 2023, one of my favorite memoirs that I've ever read. And it's just, again, until... I'd read your book. Ashley's was the only one that made me that really captured that version of Indiana for me. Mm-hmm. And while your book takes you on all different places, like, you know, those, those visions and that imagery of Indiana that you share, like I could see, especially small, small town, Indiana, mm-hmm. like I could see that in there. And then just all of the, not all of the things, but a lot of the stuff, the feelings that you had, are a lot of the things that I just felt like I could resonate with. And so I just really, really have appreciated this work because it's something I can always come back to as I've been navigating a lot of stuff as I get ready to approach parenthood. Um, been returning to your book in, in ways just to to refresh myself on, on certain things. And it's just been a powerful piece of, of, of literature for me in 2023. So I just really appreciate it. Thank you. That means everything to me. <laughs> Absolutely. And for people who are shopping in Indiana or shopping anywhere for tomorrow bookstore, it is one of my top five picks um, in our competition. So please buy it from either the bookstore or from the bookshop dot org link uh, from tomorrow bookstores link. So I can win the $50 that is going there, (laughs) but also because it's an amazing book. Um, Again, Brittany, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. It is a huge, huge privilege for me to be able to have a second conversation with you, to be able to dive into some different things than we were able to talk about last time. Thank you for sharing all of this knowledge and all of this wisdom and and just things for us to sit with and think about as we go forward for the rest of 2023 and into 2024. Yeah, thank you. Um, I appreciate you and I appreciate the show. So thanks. I appreciate that. Um, okay. I was <laughs> I was about to make a Midwestern <laughs> goodbye joke because I am the absolute most Midwestern goodbye person ever. I literally had an interview <laughs> before this that I did that on, like an interview for a, a thing. <laughs> and I was like, uh, bye, I guess. Like, uh, uh, you want to, like, I, I don't even know what I was doing, but I will not do that now. <laughs> um, again, you can find links to everybody that Brittany shared here and to Hell If We Don't Change Our Ways and to connect with Brittany here in our show notes if that is what you want to do if you want to connect through our instagram you can do so at Brittany means it if you want to connect with us on instagram you can do so at conversation pod or you can get with me directly at patrick in the world 
If you love this episode and have a second, we'd love if you could leave us a rating or review wherever you get your podcast. That helps the show out a lot. and It means a lot to us. And lastly, you can catch up on previous episodes of the show by visiting our website, conversationpeacepod.com. With that, with that out of the way, this has been a fantastic conversation with Brittany Means. Until next time, I'm Patrick Armstrong, and this has been Conversation Peace. See ya.